Are you a business owner looking to grow and scale your company? Do you want to prepare your company to successfully take on investment? Start by taking the Become Investable Digital Scorecard Assessment. In less than six minutes, you will have information identifying weaknesses in your business model and receive advice on how to address them. Developed using the signature BI methodology, the scorecard assesses your business based on six key investability metrics and provides a comprehensive report to show you how to build a more investable business. Go to becomeinvestable.com slash scorecard today to start your journey to investability. I would like to thank Become Investable for coming to Amcham and us partnering to host this session. I will turn you over to your moderator, who is Kevin Valley. Kevin is in the business of raising capital. Currently, he specializes in helping medium-sized enterprises attract the funding they need to scale. With over 12 years' experience in corporate and investment banking, Kevin has been featured as a panelist at a variety of local, regional, and international business events on entrepreneurship, business development, and private company investment. Not only is he a chartered business valuator, Kevin is a partner at Aspire Fund Management, a private equity firm based in Trinidad, founder of Become Investable, and host of the Caribbean Power Lunch podcast. This podcast has been described as a critical source of knowledge and support for both young and established businesses alike within the Caribbean context. Kevin is passionate about business and the development of Caribbean entrepreneurs. He has always admired the power of businesses to change lives, create jobs, and create sustainable wealth. One of his core values stem from the quote, life is a loan that you repay through your service to others. Kevin, I hand over to you. Thank you, Melissa, and I echo your sentiments. We thank the American Chamber of Commerce from now on, I'll say Amcham. Thank you very much for partnering with us to put on this event. We want to especially thank our sponsors, the Trinidad and Tobago Unitrust Corporation, for making this event happen. And we want to thank our panel of experts here today. We have some seasoned finance experts here today. Of course, from the Trinidad and Tobago Unitrust Corporation, we have Mrs. Karian Hepburn Malcolm, the Vice President of Sales and Service. We have Mr. Chris Marcus, the General Manager of Aspire Fund Management. We have Vashti Dukusing, the Senior Specialist at International Development Bank. Mr. Beresford Gray, we call him Beres of Cygnus Capital, Cygnus Group, and of course, Chris Williams. He likes to be called Chris Willie of Proven Investments. Thanks to Become Investable and the panel that we have here today, you will learn how to build a credible investment case. You'll learn what type of funding is right for your business. And of course, you will learn how to make your business more investable. All right, so we want to get into the panel discussion now. So firstly, we want to invite Mrs. Karian Hepburn Malcolm. Karian is the Vice President of Sales and Service at the Unitrust Corporation, and she's also recently become what I joke as a, a TV show star. She's the host of Youpreneur Series, Yourpreneur Series, which interviews a, a bunch of young entrepreneurs throughout the region to really unpack what it is that drives them and how they take their business to the next level. Furthermore, UCC has a scale-up accelerator program in process now. I believe applications may have been closed and they're actually 
selecting folks now. But yes, Unitrust is very big on entrepreneurship and development. So Karian, welcome. How are you doing, Karian? I'm great, Kevin. Thank you. And I'm happy to see, you know, so many guests eager to, I guess, dig into the meat of the matter around entrepreneurship and becoming investable. Yes, indeed. All right. So secondly, from starting his career in Belgium and all the way back to Jamaica, we have Mr. Beresford Gray, the CEO of Cygnus Group. Now, Beresford spent most of his career at senior levels in the investment banking department in First Caribbean International Bank until he founded Cygnus Capital in 2017. Paris, good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, Kevin. And, you know, again, thanks for having me and thanks as well to the chamber for inviting me. All right. And, and up next, we have Ms. Vashi Duki Singh, the senior specialist at the International Development Bank. Vashti has been at the International Development Bank for, for quite some time now. Vashti also has a, a nice personal entrepreneurship story that, that we'd love to get into in a, in a little bit. Vashti has also been part of a team that has financed over 200 projects in throughout the Caribbean in the past decade or so. Vashti, welcome. Thank you for joining. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. It's the Inter-American Development Bank. I'm sorry. Um, saving Latin America and the Caribbean, and I have been focused in the Caribbean market for most <laughs> of my long career there. So right. happy to be here. Yes, and, I'm, and, so, and I apologize. Yes, that's not no the International problem. Development Bank. No we have problem. the Inter-American Development Bank. So anybody who's taking notes, just, just note that's um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we have written down international before Inter-American. All right, so up next we have Mr. Chris Marcus. He's the general manager of an Aspire Fund Management Company, of which I am a, a partner with. Chris and I have been working together for the past few years. Chris has over 30 years of experience, as young as he looks, in the, in the, finance, in the finance industry. And he has worked at most of the, at the large financial institutions throughout Trinidad Tobago. He has a passion for economics and private equity development throughout the region. Chris? Kevin, thank you, and good morning, everyone. I have to thank the Chamber and UTC for putting this event on, as well as in me, um, becoming investable. Thank you very much, and looking forward to the discussion with everyone. All right. And finally, we have Mr. Christopher Williams, who loves to be called Chris Willie, the CEO and founder of Proven Investments Limited. This company has been making some serious acquisitions throughout the Caribbean region. And Chris, Chris today is going to speak to what it is that they look for in acquisition targets. Because you know that a lot of companies, when they start up, eventually their, their goal is to have a nice, successful exit, that multi-million dollar acquisition that gets them to, to be like, ah, this is what my hard work was for. All right? And Chris would, Chris would be very upset if I didn't mention this. He's also a past student of Jamaica College. So any, all the Jamaicans here today, we, are, we have a Jamaica College alumni. Chris? Greetings, greetings. Wagwan, Trinidad and Tobago. It is my pleasure to be on the, this call this morning. I'm very upset that it's a call and I'm not physically in Trinidad. You know, Trinidad is one of my most favorite places to visit, especially roundabout 
the end of February, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to be amongst you guys. Great to see a lot of familiar faces on the panel. And, you know, a special big up to my darling, Carrion. We go way back. We won't say how far back, but we go way back. Chris used to be my boss indirectly. He was like two rungs above me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a general. She's a general. But we'll go on Trinidad and Tobago. We're looking forward to to having this chat. So thanks to UTC, thanks to the chamber, and of course thanks to Become Investable. All right. Thank you, Chris. All right. So we right. Well, with all those greetings, let's get the show on the road, right? So we believe that there's, you know, incredible power at the intersection of finance and entrepreneurship. And as a matter of fact, a couple of the couple of the experts we have on the panel today are entrepreneurs themselves. So, Chris Willie, we'd love for you to just kind of give us your your own entrepreneurship story because you were CEO at um, NCB for for quite some time, and then you decided to put together a team to go ahead and, and start proven investments. And in just like under two years, you're already on the, listed on the stock exchange. So let's walk us through that. How did that happen? Yeah, I think that the evolution of your entrepreneurial dream is linked to two components, capital and competence. The combination of those two ingredients, I think, leads to a successful entity. Now, what you will find, as most of you on the call will attest to, is that you don't have both. You either have capital and don't have competence, or more times than not, you have competence and don't have capital. So the challenge that confronts us as entrepreneurs is how to put together the two. Now, what I have found in my experience is that very attractive competence attracts capital. So put the focus as much as possible on putting together good competence. And how you do that is firstly by ensuring that your own experience is solid. If you are going to start a business in banking, the first thing to do is to get the banking experience and ensure that you understand banking and you have risen to good heights in an employment status in a bank which would help to strengthen your competence argument. So whatever the industry that the business you are seeking to develop is in, make sure that you bring to the table solid competence in that industry. Now, in my particular case, I not only brought to the table my competence, but I saw it fit to bring to the table others that I felt had even greater competence than mine and would therefore make the proposition that much more attractive. 
So in choosing your partners for the business, don't necessarily choose your friends. Choose people that can help to strengthen the competence conversation. So identify individuals. Some of them you may not even know. You may see them on TV and in the newspaper and you approach them and sell them on the idea of partnering with you. So put together a strong, competent team, not just people who are like-minded or are your friends. Put together a strong, competent team so that the competence can attract the capital. That is my experience. That is what we did to get proven off the ground, that everything was about the team. And I think that is a, a blueprint for success. Well, Chris, just really need to pick a Leon, the team, right? So are you saying that, you know, it's a team of, of banking specialists where everybody sort of have these, have similar skills? Or are you talking about, you know, you have a, you have a team with a varied range of skills? I mean, does it differ by, by whatever industry you're in? It slightly differs, but just slightly. I think that it is best to have a diverse team. So, you know, one member of the team covers sales. Another member of the team covers accounting. Another member of the team covers operations. They may not necessarily have to, because of the founders, I'm the only one that actually works for Proven. All the others are at an advisory level and at a shareholder level. So you don't, don't load up the company with a number of, of people and everybody's a founder and then you have a huge payroll. Mm-hmm. So one of the persons can be the CEO and all the others operate at the board level and the shareholder level. And as I said, try and get them as diverse as possible. Got you. Got you. All right. So definitely have that very team and everything. All right. So I want to go across to Vashti now. So Vashti, you mean you've spent a significant amount of time at the IDB supporting entrepreneurs and getting grants and taking them to private equity companies, helping, helping with their pitch and everything. But I just want to get into like, where does that really come from? Right. That, that passion for entrepreneurship come from. I understand you have a personal entrepreneurship story that, that would really resonate with us, the panel, and especially the audience. Okay. Thanks, Kev. I'll start with my background. I'm from an entrepreneurial family, and I think in Trinidad and Tobago, we have been very fortunate that entrepreneurship has provided a trajectory for many people. My father came from a very humble family background. He was lucky to go to the UK when we were still a colony. And he became an accountant. And he worked in many jobs. And he never really felt like he was fulfilled. So in 1976, he took the plunge and he started his own firm. At the time, he had one desk with two chairs. He was on one side and what was his secretary at the time was on the other side. And there was a chair in the hallway. So when clients came, she sat outside for confidentiality. But from 1976, and I'm pleased to say in 2021, that business is still there. And as I always tell people, I mean, my mom, he died in 21 years ago. 
But that business has continued to create value. That business has helped my mom, who is now 87, to have a comfortable life. If I had to say how much money would he have had to have left for her to be comfortable for 21 years, it would have been a huge amount. I mean, unrealizable for the skill sets and what he had at the time. And that business has been able not only to create employment, provide an income for my mom in her retirement, but also has helped many small businesses in getting their financial statements, their taxes. And, you know, my brother always used to say, the business is psychology, counseling, and a little bit of accounting and tax on the side. Because this is what, at the time, clients really needed. They needed somebody, as you've articulated and your team has articulated, they needed somebody objective to sit down and talk to about their business. Now, I can tell you that having a business, I understand it's there's a lot of emotion there. When my dad died, I had to leave my job at PwC and kind of hold the reins for a while. And that's when it really hit me. I mean, I'd worked for my dad many times, but it hit me that a business is a living, breathing thing. It's like having a child, right? You love it, and sometimes you just can't. You just need to get away. But it's something that I really fell in love with. And, you know, when we were trying to reposition the business after he died, I went and I sat down in front of a venture capital fund manager. And the things that he told me that I would have to do to get my business to the point that it could grow, you know, seems so hard. It seems so far away. I mean, I remember, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I remember crying at the time because I'm like, oh my God, so much has gone into this and he's criticizing and tearing down like there's no value there. It hurt, but it did also provide, you know, in hindsight, when I dried my eyes, I went home and I talked to, you know, some other people. There was a lot of value in what he was saying. So I think that the most important thing that I could share with you guys, because we see a lot of entrepreneurs, either through our partners like YBTT, we worked on one of the first venture capital funds in Trinidad and Tobago. We've worked with banks to try and extend services to SMEs. We work directly with entrepreneurs. I think one of the most important things that I could share from my experience of sitting across the table is Really, you have to be able to tell a compelling story. I'm expecting Kamala. And it's not just a story, but something that is grounded in your passion, in your commitment, and in your drive to really get things done. It's not an easy journey. We know that. But you've got to put the work in before you can come and sit in front of somebody. Coming with an idea is not enough. You know, we all have ideas. Even if you start small and you start proving and this could work, that shows a lot of grit. It shows energy. It shows that, you know, you see this as something real and it's not just you dreamed up this great idea and you expect somebody to put a check in your hand for doing that and that's how you're going to run your business. That's not how business works. And investors look for growth. 
right? If they're going to invest in your business, they want to be able to get out and they want to be able to get out as a profit. So that means that they need to ensure that you're serious about growth and not everybody is and that's fine. You're serious about growth, that the money that is being invested is going to propel growth and not something else. So that's where the governance comes in. And that you're going to be open to sometimes brutal advice and guidance on where your business is. And even though, I mean, we have guys in the audience, we have really strong women out there. Maybe you're not going to cry like me, but you got to take that. Maybe it's not 100% right, but you need to really navigate through that and distill what the message is. And to really say, okay, if I want to get here, am I willing to do this? It's really important. I spoke with an entrepreneur that we have done business with in the cocoa industry. He's a chocolatier. And he said that a pivot moment for him, I mean, he's invested in a factory overseas. He had chocolates and Harrods, all kinds of things. But one of the things that really, really helped him and it happened just at the time of COVID, is that he got two kind of seasoned investors, not in the cocoa business. One has a long history in an accounting and financial services firm, and one knows a lot about consumer business, consumers. And those two advisors sit with him every two weeks on a Sunday afternoon, and they talk and they plan for the next two weeks, and they hold them accountable. And he said that has really, really changed the trajectory and helped him focus because, you know, as a founder, you have to do everything sometimes. And it's, you know, the point that was raised about making, carving out that space, not only to strategize, but put that strategy into action is something that's super important to you being able to get to that growth trajectory. And the last thing that I'd like to say is we see a lot of tech-enabled businesses now. Right. I feel that one of the things, there are a couple of factors here. One, I see a lot of tech businesses that are in love with the technology and not with the problem. And so they can tell you everything about the app and users and this and their. It doesn't matter. The fundamentals of business are the same. How are you creating value? Which means you're addressing a problem. But most importantly, How are you capturing value from what you're delivering? It can't just be, oh, well, I'm going to sell ad space or I'm going to sell the data or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You need to have a very clear idea. So be in love with the problem that you're solving and not necessarily the solution or the channel that you're seeking to use to solve that problem because it can change. We're in a super dynamic environment. I mean, look at how many businesses that had brick and mortar or still have brick and mortar. And overnight, they pivoted. They're like an Instagram and they're like using those channels to kind of bring you in some very successfully. Right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to pivot as things change because we are living in unprecedented times, as we have seen last year. But we have seen lots of things change. We have seen climate. We have seen societal changes. We've seen politics. We've seen Black Lives Matter. We've seen women. We've seen we need to be sustainable. And all these things are now factoring into how we run our businesses today. So 
something that wasn't there when people like my dad started their business many years ago. You know, yeah. or maybe it was there, but it wasn't as important. So you need to be able to be growth oriented, be open to advice, and also just stay the course and do the things that are going to take you to getting bigger and better if you really want external investors. Thanks. Yes, and uh, thank you for that, Vashri. And yes, there's definitely been um absurgence, if that's the correct word to use, in social businesses, businesses that are aligned with the sustainable development goals or environment and social responsibility. And, you know, a, a push for diverse businesses and women-led businesses. But also I want to, I want to emphasize what you said in terms of focusing on value creation and growth, right? Especially growth, because a lot of people, they're building businesses that, yes, provides a nice lifestyle for themselves. So we call them lifestyle businesses. You could provide a nice lifestyle for yourself. You could travel. You could take care of your family or whatnot. But is it necessarily investable? Is it a business that is set up where if you put money into that business, can it multiply? and provide returns for that investor. All right. All right. So right now I want to go across to um, Carrion at Unitrust Corporation. So Karen, I understand. So Unitrust is a, is a fund manager by nature. And we've yeah. seen that recently there's been a strong push in entrepreneurial development. So you have the Europreneur Show, you have the Scale Up Accelerator that is coming on stream just now. I just want to know, what is the impetus behind these initiatives and how is it aligned with the corporation's long-term objectives, as much as you can say? So the corporation noticed that there was a heightened sense of meaning and purpose, mostly in uh, the entrepreneurial space. And uh, one of the major mandates of the corporation is wealth creation for all and to give access to all segments of the society in terms of savings, investments, and accessing capital in non-traditional ways. And so we realized that there was really a cry from the entrepreneurial segment, a cry for capital, as you said, but obviously Unit Trust doesn't, we don't offer loans. So it got us thinking, how can we somehow facilitate capital uh, flowing to these entrepreneurs? So there's a couple of ways we could do it. Either we could invest in them directly, because there is a percentage of one particular fund that we can invest into illiquid assets or, you know, into stocks not listed. I see Chris shaking his head because he knows it very well, probably better than me. <laughs> and I mean, that's hundreds of millions of TT dollars. So, I mean, it's still a sizable chunk, even though it's 10% of a particular fund. So that's one way that we thought we could do that. Of course, you know, they would need to meet a certain standard criteria and it would have to get past the investment committee. The other ways that we thought we could help entrepreneurs is by literally rolling our sleeves up and getting into their businesses and getting experts behind them to, to, to help them. So getting mentors, getting the kind of community and support they needed, getting information to them that would help them grow their business and creating communities where they could share and support each other. As I said, in a, in a nutshell, the corporation realized that that was a neglected segment. They kind of, you know, fall in between the cracks of the traditional categories or classifications that we would apply to our clients. But 
we felt that this was an important segment because of what it could mean for the economy. Uh, we know that businesses help to spur fuel and, and act as a catalyst in the economy. So I think it would have been foolish of us to ignore that segment. Understood, understood. And just as a, a quick follow-up, you know, as, as it pertains to scale-up in particular, mm-hmm. so what really qualifies a business to be eligible for um, to participate in the scale-up accelerator? Because we understand it's free, there's a call-out. You know, you mm-hmm. guys probably receive numerous applications. Mm-hmm. So we want to know what would qualify as a successful candidate. What are you looking for in a candidate? Okay, all right. So... Essentially, it's looking for companies that are already established, right? So that particular program is not necessarily for brand new startups. It's geared at companies with sales revenues of roughly between 3 million and 30 million TT dollars from any industry. So I know that some of our guests are not Trinidadian. So just to tell you in US dollars, it would be a minimum of about 440,000 in sales revenue that would get you into that program. Right. Okay. So the criteria is really revenue, essentially. Uh, That is the main criteria. And I guess as the name suggests, it's to scale you up, to take it to the next level. So you have a good thing going, but how can you improve it? How could you make it better? How could you expand? Okay. All right, so Mr. Beresford, Mr. Beresford Gray. All right, so Beres, we have about maybe two questions because I see we have a question from the audience that I think will apply to you. But firstly, so you were running your career at a senior investment banking level at um, First Caribbean International Bank. So what was the impetus for you in terms of, you know, deciding, hey, I want to start Signals Capital and then eventually listen on the stock exchange in less than two years after that. And well, a, a follow-on question will be, will be the question from Mr. Ryan Davis. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I always have an entrepreneurial spirit, probably from I was at university. So I always see each job really as a project. I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, from my time at CIBC and before that at Scotia, I, I never really look at the at a job as a long-term end for my career. I normally see it as, most time, I see them as three-year projects to execute and very strategically achieve certain objectives, whether it's brand building in the capital markets, investment banking space. My last time at CIBC, when I went back there, was really about developing myself as a leader so I can see a wide array of the the operations of a big organization versus before just focusing on building out um, investment banking opportunities. You know, so my last job was really about getting myself as ready as possible in terms of skill set to take um, the big leap. So, you know, at the end of the day, what really triggered the creation of Cygnus by myself and, our, and my partners was coincidentally all, all three of us were thinking about starting the business or some business of a similar type in and around the, the same time. And the main reason is that we were looking at gaps in the market. What are the gaps in the market? What are the pain points? And for us, 
we were looking at what are the gaps in the Jamaican market, especially when it comes on to capital accessibility, and in particular, capital accessibility for medium-sized firms. And then we also look at it in a wider spectrum. What are the gaps in the financial ecosystem that exists in other markets that are satisfying needs in terms of business, capital, supporting growth, and so forth? And when we drilled that down, we realized that the gap was really what we call alternative financing, which is basically non-bank channels that covers anything from private equity, venture capital, funds, private credit, real estate investing, etc. So we decided that that was the gap. We also realized that medium-sized firms in the Caribbean were really, and this data might change a little bit, but generally speaking, when we look at the market, about less than 30% of capital available for funding, especially low-level funds, are accessed to, are lent to medium-sized firms. Small businesses at the time, and it still probably is the same, is about 13%. So that to us means that there's a huge gap because when you compare to other markets, you know, it's, it's 40 and 50%. So we know that if we should come up with a business that satisfies that need and don't be a traditional player, meaning in our world focused on the alternative space, then we would be solving a problem. So as entrepreneurs, our goal is always to think about, are we solving a big societal problem? You know, and, and sometimes it can be a small societal problem, but as entrepreneurs, that's a big question to ask. Ask yourself, am I solving a societal problem? And generally speaking, the, the bigger the problem is, then the more scalable your business is. So that's what really drove us to start Signals. I would also say, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting journey, and I'll just throw this out to sort of add to the discussion previously is that my um, other panelists made. It's important to pull together a strong team, and Chris pointed to that with complementary skills. Because at the end of the day, the business is just a collection of people trying to execute a vision, right? So it doesn't matter how passionate you are, if you don't have the right team in the right position, then you won't execute. And if you can't execute, you might you know, be lucky to attract the first round of capital, but you won't attract the second round to really grow your business quickly. And then my final point before I get into the point around listing and cap, um, raising is that it's very important as an entrepreneur, no matter how much experience you have in the corporate world to identify in your network, what I call mentors, right? And believe me, even on your board, if you have other shareholders who are entrepreneurs themselves, they, they will play a very important role because the entrepreneurial journey is very different than the corporate career. So I would encourage every entrepreneur to look in your network, look at your board, your partners, maybe other businessmen, maybe other former colleagues who have turned entrepreneurs and, you know, have discussion with them, catch up for lunch, drinks, and, and ask them questions. In the first, I find that in the first two years of their business, just those conversations are going to be very insightful because they would have walked the path 
and can give you within you know 30 minutes of discussion very useful advice that you can leverage for your business. How were you able to list in such a, a short period of time? Yeah, I think the key thing is, and this is where when you talk about the right team competency, investing in your competency early before starting the journey is very important because when you're thinking about raising capital, growing your business, and, and you look at, say, a stock exchange as one path to raise capital, then you, you have to start out from day one with the mindset of a very organized business covering everything from your accounting to your operations to your governance structure so that by the time you are ready, say within 12 months to raise capital through a stock exchange, you have all of those things in terms of foundation laid. So that's what we did in the first, from the outset, create a structure both from the board level operational wise and competency wise in terms of teams and leadership so that we can then present the company within a 12-month period to the market that this is a credible company with a strong leadership team, strong governance structure, and you can entrust us with capital. So that's very important. Yeah, and it's funny enough that you emphasize that corporate governance structure because in my experience, what I've seen is that a lot of young and smaller businesses, like that is the main thing that's lacking, that corporate governance structure. Like, just in, on a rudimentary level, when you incorporate your business, I don't know if it's different in, in Jamaica, but when you incorporate your business in Trinidad and Tobago, when you go to the bank to open your business account, they ask for a list of directors. They don't ask for shareholders. And a lot of businesses where directors think they're shareholders, but they're actually not. So it's, it's really important that you said that, you know, that you make sure to have your corporate governance on information in order before you list. Cause I, from talking to a number of um, brokers and stuff, of course, in your market and in our market, corporate governance is key because you need to have that documentation and everything to make sure that investors know what they're investing in. So thank you for that. So Chris, Mr. Marcus, all right, so I understand that you are, you're very passionate about economics. You're passionate about the emphasis on private sector development through equity financing. So I just want you to sort of paint that landscape for us in that one, why is that so important? And what's really been holding back private sector investment where companies are investing equity capital in investable companies? Okay. Again, thank you very much, Kevin. Um, let me start off by saying that in the context of what has been holding back the development of small and medium-sized businesses in the context of our economy, really has to do with the limited financing opportunities, primarily the asset classes that have been and have not been available. More specifically, Trinidad and Tobago's corporate and capital markets has been primarily a debt market, DBT. The good news and the biggest secret that we have in Trinidad and Tobago, and we're very good at pointing out the challenges that we face, but Trinidad and Tobago does not realize, and the wider Caribbean as well, but specifically in terms of my scoping of the landscape, etc. We actually are positioned for growth at this point in time. And let me explain that. Over the last two decades, you would have noticed that companies, very strong companies with good business models, have been successful in raising debt via the traditional banking sector and the larger players on the capital market. 
those good companies have now become leveraged companies, over-leveraged companies to the point where it is financial institutions have gotten to a point where they believe that, okay, these companies can take no more debt. However, these companies remain strong, but at the same time, we have these debt loads driven primarily by the characteristics of our financial services sector. What the opportunity that presents itself right now in respect to how do we reverse and build has to do with if it is become as a financial services sector, deleverage these good companies, put them at a point where it is a lot of the debt that they would have accumulated, while they might have been able to access the right amount of capital, they were not necessarily able to access the right type of capital. So the companies now, we are saying just for, for anyone of the business owners on and the business managers who understand our local landscape, be it either be it your own business or working for a business, you'll recognize, if you take a quick look at your balance sheet, and you recognize that a lot of the debt there really is latent, not doing anything hardcore. If we as financial institutions can go through our landscape, look at these companies and say, listen, these companies are scalable. They have the right business model. They have the right approach. We can deliver these companies with private equity. Now, the private equity conversation, as silent as it is in Trinidad and Tobago, is a very low conversation internationally. 40% of the pension plan market in the United States has private equity investments, the patient capital, and the private equity activities ultimately give rise to stock market activity. In the United States, they have about approximately 8,700 private equity firms. And as Melissa pointed out very early in Jamaica, there may be approximately 12, give or take. And of course, that has given rise to a very active secondary stock market. So these small and medium-sized businesses, the businesses that Veris has identified, the business that Chris has identified, are all being readied. Those who aren't there yet have already gone there. 45 to 50 companies on the secondary stock exchange. I mean, what has been the performance of the senior stock exchange in Jamaica? And to Jamaica's credit, Jamaica has recognized that, okay, wealth creation, the commonwealth creation, is via ownership not lending. And in our environment, we need to do two things. We need to first and foremost develop the private equity market for small and medium-sized businesses, which we can do. And of course, transform our lending and our current financing culture to one more of financing the right type of capital as opposed to the right amount of capital. We have to stop lending to our country and start investing in it. We have a series, we have quite a bit of lending relationships in the form of fixed income, loans, bonds, what have you. But we simply don't have that ownership mindset outside of what presents itself on the existing stock market. So let's talk about the secondary stock market for a second, or the, or the SME stock exchange. 2012 established. Two to three companies at this point in time. One private equity firm. And if we would recall in the reading of the budget last year, the Minister of Finance created incentives for companies to list on this junior stock exchange. And I mean, it sounded well, but really there's a huge message between that. 
between the stock exchange of what we're discussing right now. How do we get these companies, the small and medium-sized businesses, to the stock markets as the Jamaicans have been able to do, as the United States and more developed economies have been able to do? And the answer is private equity. But private equity comes with additional capital outside of the financial capital, and we've been speaking about it. Corporate governance, financial controls, the introduction of policies and procedures, the assistance of strategic planning, and of course, these companies, private equity means ownership, and financial institutions would not necessarily want to have a majority position, but a minority position, so we can actually benefit as the company benefits. And we are talking about both common equity and preference equity in these circumstances. The huge opportunities that we can really develop a partnership with the financial services sector, we mean the entrepreneurs and the like, while developing the market in such a way where it is we have an active capital market, not an active debt capital market. If we can bring private equity in a bigger way beyond one company and see it as an asset class, the right type of capital, let's go back to the COVID relief finance that had been provided by the government. Just imagine for a second that $375,000 that went to certain companies that qualified. Just imagine that was equity. So instead of having an additional debt to service in the face of fallen revenues given the restrictions associated with the pandemic and the associated revenue and job and business losses. Imagine if that money was equity. That would have ultimately helped those companies to extinguish debt, existing debt, once used properly in that amount. And $375,000 on a small balance sheet is a material jump. You are actually positioning these companies for growth, growth in terms of being able to expand, being able to attract more debt because private equity being injected into a business improves the capital structure. It makes lending institutions, the traditional ones that we always need, more comfortable that this company has now put itself in a position where it is we have a good debt-to-equity ratio. And, of course, three things can happen. These companies can scale up. They can be bought out because somebody loves the business more than them and they are prepared to part with it because the founding shareholders might be at a point in their life where it is they want to kick back and relax and enjoy the fruits of their labor. And, of course, the stock market activity. We look at our stock market every day. We look at the American stock market. But the message behind stock markets is that that is where wealth is created, recorded, and stored. And the more developed, if we look at all of the performing economies globally, their stock markets have is a commonality that we can see right across the spectrum. So we have a huge opportunity to develop the non-energy sector Businesses in Trinidad and Tobago. I would say that the energy sector, by virtue of our history and our macroeconomic structure, will take care of itself. The diversification and the economic activity and the hedging that we need outside of the energy sector like, resides in this space that we're speaking to right now. So the opportunity is very, very huge. Yeah. I mean, what you emphasized just now is that the importance of the ecosystem. So... We're telling people how to build investable businesses right now. But at the other end of the spectrum, you don't have investors that are willing to put equity capital in these investable businesses. Then it's really just going around in circles. Oftentimes as well, people don't realize how strong a business model they have. 
they may be doing all the right things, but they have never been challenged or invited to, hey, do you realize that you could be the next Elon Musk? You could be the next Jeff Bezos. And these companies all started off. I always remember seeing the original. There was a picture of Jeff Bezos with these big, big glasses mm-hmm. in his office when he just established Amazon as an online reading, so to speak, uh, an online library. Look at what Amazon is right now. With the pandemic, the online business e-commerce is the new normal. Even when the pandemic is behind us, so we have the whole world vaccinated. The level of efficiency that the opportunity associated with COVID has built into economies and societies. Often, many companies are looking at, do we really need to have all of this office space? We've been effective in terms of continuing our businesses doing um, virtually as we're doing right now. Many businesses might have, in the food and beverage sector, for example, they might have reduced their, their restaurant space to increase the drive-through, the delivery, the apps, the food apps, etc., the food delivery apps. So the world is changing, and I believe that every country, bit by bit, is seeing the opportunities, and it's very important that we in the Caribbean take ownership of our future and understand that we have a superior understanding of our respective economies and our businesses, and we should feel more comfortable investing in ourselves as opposed to just lending to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's because of that mindset of investing in themselves, and Barrison and Chris can attest to this, that the Jamaican economy has been able to achieve, you know, the um, first best performing stock exchange in both 2018 and 2019 because of that aggressive push and you have what 40 something maybe 50 companies listed on the junior stock exchange and everything i mean you look at the jamaican market and you see their ipos very frequently almost every other month all right what happens if you realize that there's a member of your team who is not really aligned with the goals of your business but is a shareholder i would like to ask chris williams to answer that hi guys that's the tough one. That's the tough one. First of all, don't rush the decision on who your shareholding partners are. Because, you know, I guess as Carrie on hinted at earlier, it's, it's like a marriage. So you, you really want to date for a little. So don't rush the overall execution of the business plan. Take your time and go through it, including determining your team members and spending time together and trying to understand whether or not you guys can actually work together. Because once you're in, once you're married, it's hard to get out. From my experience, you just basically have to use a lot of emotional intelligence and be committed to working with the partner. You know, we have had over our 10-year history with Proven, we have had several challenges amongst ourselves and we have had to just sit in our room together. And just work them through for the for the good of the business, because these you know these are not your necessarily your friends. You do end up having differences of opinion, and um, you really just have to utilize a lot of emotional intelligence. But if at the end of the day it's not working, then then I guess one of you just has to part for the good of the business. Chris Marcus, you want to add to that? I say hand yep. up. Yes, thanks. I mean, Chris, your point is very well noted. However. Let's go back to a point that Zenon had raised in his presentation where we spoke about the shareholders' agreements. 
the reality of it is that sometimes the relationships, even though they would have started off with the right amount of courting and the marriage would have worked out well. Quite frankly, shareholders' agreements allow you a prenup, so to speak, in terms of the exit clauses, options to buy with the other shareholder. So why we don't want to ever approach a marriage with the expectation that it will come to an end, in the reality, shareholders' agreements are to protect and to set out the arrangements associated with these alliances. So in the event that the relationship does not work out, carefully drafted shareholders' agreements, where it is we have the appropriate exit clauses, which would oftentimes mean one of the other shareholders gives the other the right to first refusal to sell or buy back the shares. But certainly the exit clauses embedded in shareholders seek to mitigate that, that unforeseen development. Thanks, Chris. What are the special challenges for family companies to become investable? How can they be addressed? Now, Karen, I know in a previous life, you would have spent some time as the head of private banking at an institution in Jamaica. In that experience, have you worked with a lot of family business owners? Or did you notice a particular trend in what, what makes them more investable or bankable or fundable? That's a good question. So family-owned businesses come with their own nuances, as you would imagine. I wouldn't necessarily say they are necessarily more investable than any other businesses. It boils back down to the fundamentals that Zenon and some of the other panelists referred to. But what I would say is that because it's family, there's usually a high level of reluctance to kick somebody out, to get rid of a partner or a shareholder, even if there is a disagreement. And what I've seen, which is interesting, is that, let's say, the, the founders, the parents, if they know they need to hand down the business, they'll put structures in place that, in a way, they can, as we would say, rule from the grave. So I guess it speaks to that point that Chris raised, that how the, the structure is drafted legally, that can help put certain controls in place, especially if some of the family members are more business-oriented than others and they want to ensure continuity. And I would say from a investor's perspective, that's one of the things they would look for, that even though it's a family business, you want to still ensure that the members of the business are competent, you know, and it's not just because you're a family. So I would advise that, as best as possible, they should structure the business on paper and in practice to put the competent family members in the right positions or in the critical positions. So that's what I would say based on my experience there. Thank you. And that I mean that really emphasizes how important corporate governance is and having that shale agreement in place and everything. Chris, your hand is up. Yes. Thank you. One of the challenges that we have faced in the scenario where we have small businesses trying to become investable has to do with the whole mindset of disclosure, the disclosure of trading secrets, for example. So we may be comfortable with speaking about private equity and minority shareholders coming in and that type of thing, but oftentimes the trade secrets the generational trade secrets that have created that success. If you want to go the route of becoming 
investable and by extension going public. The family and the founding members have to get themselves comfortable with the fact that it is going to be incumbent on them to ensure that the right disclosures are made. They must be comfortable that, okay, we'll have to part with some of the, the, the trade secrets, but at the end of it all, the bigger pictures that we go public, we may get to cash out and we move on. So if we can see ourselves as investable companies, we have to understand that the investors we want to bring to the table will want to understand the business just as good as the founding members. That's the key difference between lending and investing. You are now seeking to become a part owner of this business. So we must always see ourselves aligned. So those disclosures, it's a cultural thing. But it is very important that once you go the route of wanting to become investable, understand that there's a level of disclosure that will be required from the potential investors who will want to support your business's growth. Thank you, Chris. Um, Barris, I want to ask you this question on the Jamaica side, and Chris, I want to ask you this on the Trinidad side. Has there been an increase in investing in agriculture, agriculture-based companies in the private sector since the announcement of more government investment in agriculture? Barry, so I'll let you speak to the Jamaica market first, and also you could also touch on your um, potential interest in, in investing in Trinidadian companies in particular industries. Okay, yeah, thanks much. On the Jamaica side, we haven't really, well, let me say this. We haven't really seen a significant jump in terms of investment in agriculture, I would say, over the, and I'm using a reasonable time, say, over the last decade. There are other sectors that are, have been more, way more attracted capital at a higher velocity than the agricultural sector. What I would say though is that in the last, and those sectors in Jamaica, just to give some color, would be sectors such as logistic, distribution, real estate has been booming significantly in Jamaica. And of course, hospitality in Jamaica is like your energy sector. But in terms of agriculture, I think the segment of agriculture where we are, we have seen noticeable projects over, I would say, the last four or five years has been one in, in spices and exports oriented agricultural businesses, right? So, uh, sauces, spices, we have seen a number of acquisition example from Grace Kennedy buying up smaller brands were in the agro-processing part of the value chain. So that represents consolidation and growth momentum for those businesses. We have also seen where large investors, and this is really in the last three years, and you know the COVID pandemic has certainly disrupted this. But I think at this moment, Jamaica agriculture is at an inflection point. And the reason why I said that is, just before COVID, there have been significant announcement to of Jamaica's most successful entrepreneurs. One of them is Yazan Azan, who is incidentally one of the shareholders and a partner of Cygnus in Cygnus. And he's a big distributor of retail products, agricultural products through his Megamart um, stores in Jamaica and his supermarkets in the Dutch Caribbean and just the headache of getting fresh supplies 
he has embarked on developing a massive agro-processing plant just along the, the highway in Jamaica. You know, this is slated to probably be close to $10 billion investment over a three-year period. And he's, you know, he's an entrepreneur, so he's way down the wicket, putting in greenhouse and all of those type of things. And then the other player, Michael Leachin, has also embarked on investing in agriculture, again, along the same corridor. So I think that my hope is that with these big investors who are certainly the type of persons who think about big project, transformative businesses, will sort of kickstart the type of momentum that I personally would like to see in the Jamaica agro-sector. From Cigna's point of view, Trinidad is a very attractive market. You know, it's a market that has the scale and the history in terms of investment opportunity that we want to look at and consistently look at. I think that from Trinidad's point of view, we are interested in Obviously, businesses in the energy sector, logistic is something that we always are very interested in because of the capacity to scale and, and the need for um, the modern consumer throughout the region. And of course, financial services, whether it's insurance companies and our lending businesses, we are very interested in those. And, and finally, manufacturing is a, something that Trinidad is very strong in. So at the moment, we have not done any investment in Trinidad to date. And the main reason, to be brutally honest, is not for a lack of opportunity, but it's more to do with the structural issues around FX, that we, haven't, we don't have a solution for that at the moment. And other markets just provide a, a better solution right now. But once I think that structural issue look easier to solve, and we are long-term investors, we will certainly be executing on some of the pipeline opportunities in Trinidad with a a medium to long-term perspective. Thanks, Maris. All right. Chris, you want to touch on it from the Trinidad landscape, and I think it was a really important point, interesting point that Maris made that the only thing that is stopping them from investing in investable Trinidadian companies is our foreign exchange challenges. Agreed. So let me answer your, your question, and I'll, let's touch on that afterwards. Yes, we have seen some some hands being put up for financing in the agricultural sector. Yes, we are actually about to make a private equity investment in a company within the next few days. Are we seeing enough? The answer is no. And let's go back to that foreign exchange conversation. Trinidad and Tobago's foreign exchange earnings have come down for reasons that we all know. When you hear a country speaks to its reserve position, they talk about import cover. And import cover is put simply basically what a country needs to import to sustain itself. So it comes back down to what is happening. So we have a situation where we have falling foreign exchange earnings, fallen foreign exchange available for importation of food. And that illuminates a challenge associated with food technology challenge and opportunity. To the extent that, again, in the budget, in fact, the last two budgets, we would have heard incentives being put forward for the agricultural sector. I think it's incumbent on us to stop the complaining and start the adjusting and start seizing these opportunities that are being presented. I am a strong advocate for the private sector 
driving innovation and the diversification subject to the government providing the enabling environment. The government has to create the environment, and the government is creating the enabling environment by virtue of the incentives that have been put forward over the last... Let's look at the incentives, and let us cross, let us juxtapose the incentives and the framework being put in place by the government, and let's look and see what the private individual and the private sector responses. And that's where we need to move in terms of the country aligning itself or the business or the government aligning itself with where the country wants to go from an innovation perspective. The government has to govern and run, and yes, it has to create an Indian brand, but the innovation, the response to the new macroeconomic reality, a large part of it has to do with us, us in the private sector. And food tech, food security is a critical part that we need to be far more aggressive and bullish in terms of our activities. Just to give you a bit of insight, I mean, the agricultural opportunity is important, a new green technology into the region. And it is certainly a scalable because it's not going to be confined to one particular type of agricultural product. If this business, if the model works well and we have been able to see it work in other jurisdictions, hence the reason why it is we were more than happy to invite it into Trinidad and Tobago, it can be scalable. People keep on making a point about how the price march shows looking more and more bare, you're not seeing certain products. There is a direct correlation between fallen revenues associated with inability to export and meet. And to Beres' point, until we can overcome the challenges associated with generation, generating and procuring foreign exchange for importation purposes, we have to take our destinies our own hands. Yeah. Thank you for that, Chris. Very insightful. I'm just going to ask one last question, and then we're going to ask the panel to, to provide their last bits of insight before we head over to the voter. Thanks. Okay, so Chris Williams, I want to ask you, because many entrepreneurs, their end goal is to have that successful exit, as you described before. After all their hard work, they want to be able to cash out at this nice sum of money or even get a large investor like yourself to provide them with that, that relief. I want to know from Proven's perspective, what do you look for in companies when looking for a company to acquire? We look in two directions. We look firstly at the return that the, the business is generating. And then secondly, we look at the scalability of the business. If the business has the potential for multiplier growth. Um, so those are the two things that we look for. You know, if it's a strong platform delivering good returns, then we'll buy that for the returns. If it is in a infancy or a developing stage, then we look to the vision of the business and the uh, scalability opportunity. And there are significant opportunities in, in both situations significant all right so right now we want to get into the final piece of advice from each of you we just have maybe 30 seconds from each of you just a final piece of advice for the business owners in the audience on what they should ultimately focus on in order to become more investable to your entities so we'll start with chris marcus yes to become investable we have to think of ourselves as an investment for somebody else down the road be it an 
if you're not an investor, you see you want to see yourself as growing a business that can continue for generations. Companies usually last much longer than human beings. And to Vashti's point where it is 21 years later, her family business continues to run the way it has been running means that her late father would have understood the importance of a sustainable business model, whether or not the persons would have been the founding members of the year. So from that perspective, we have that mindset and the willingness to open up your business to investors and finding where you have qualified financial professionals put in a position to assist you in making your good business a great business. And the second point is really that with the legislative changes that have come around with the new insurance act and so it has actually enabled insurance companies and pension plans to take up greater positions in assets like private equity. So while we're speaking about the private equity conversation in terms of investor in um, investing companies doing what they need to do to get to that point, the financial system is also being prepared for this type of investment. So we are now being enabled to move away from the traditional asset classes into alternative asset classes, namely pertaining to the pension plans and financial institutions. So we are seeing the positive developments on the legislative side. And yes, the future is bright. Karia? All right. So, Kevin, I, I jotted down a couple of things that have stood out to me over the years. So when a company is considering being investable, I know this is the obvious one, and I know Vashti made mention of it, which is that they need to be sure of the problem they're solving, right? The other thing I tell them to make sure they think through is the sales and marketing. Who are their customers? How do they reach them? And I would strongly suggest that they look at how they can leverage technology in this day and age. We can see that the pandemic has helped to spur businesses in the direction of pivoting towards the use of technology and social media. And so I really want businesses to think long and hard about how they can more efficiently sell and market their products and services. The other thing I would tell them to get help with if they are not sure how to address this is the organizational development piece of the business. And last but not least, these two points are tied is that they need to get at least a basic handle on entrepreneurial financial skills and they need to understand what their capacity is and how to manage cash. So that's my little list that I would share that if it went over their head, that means that they definitely need to tap into a mentor to help them with those different aspects that I just listed because in my mind, those things are critical. Yeah, I know that was a very big list. All right, um, Barris, it's over to you. Any closing remarks? Yes, yeah, it was. Thanks, Kevin. You know, Signals focus a lot on medium-sized firms. And for us, we really think about the team. You know, I always say that at the end of the day, we invest in a team. People execute things. And so it's very important that you pull the right team together and you are very clear about what you are delivering or asking your team to deliver. From my point of view, the team, the execution of the team, and as well as your strategy, those manifest themselves in the numbers, right? So that's how I see. So the team is very important. 
We also want to see that you are clear about your strategy. You are clear about your business plan, clear about what you are offering, i.e., as I said, what is the need that you are solving. And the reason that's important for Cygnus is because we know that if you are solving a, a real need in the society, you will have sustainability. And even if it doesn't come today, we can take a medium to long term view and the business will transform into what you want it to be. And the pandemic teaches us that lesson. You know, if you have a sustainable business solving real needs, you might have a little bit of hiccup or even into the next 12 months. But because you are solving a big societal or real societal need, Cygnus can be patient and work with you as a partner to make sure that we support the business. And finally, we like companies that even if you are not organized today, but you are ambitious enough to I want to listen and organize yourselves appropriately. And some of the things we talk about, strong governance boards, your accounting system. You know, when we approach a business today, we don't expect every company, especially medium-sized firm, to be at that level. But if you show us that you are willing to work towards that, then we are very willing to stick long-term with you. And the reason why we want businesses and entrepreneurs with that mindset is because, again, it's all about scalability. We know that if you are not organized properly, your system governance are not organized properly, you can't access the type of capital that will help you to scale at the velocity that we like our business partners to scale at. So thanks again for having me, everyone, and those are my parting words. Thanks a lot, Paris. I want to say to you guys that get guidance and work with become investable. That's a solid firm that's well-equipped to guide you, and you're going to need guidance because the first major sale that you're going to need to make for the business is selling the business to the investors. So don't treat it lightly. It's the most important sale that you have to make. So work with a professional and become investable is a good firm. Thanks, Chris. Glad we um, we came over to you. So now we want to go over to Zara Alain, who is our head of operations and client relations at Become Investable for her remarks. Thanks, Kevin. So first of all, before I get to the, the formal process, I really wanted to say that the Become Investable team is so invigorated and excited by today's discussion. We really appreciate the diversity of the topics brought forward by our esteemed panel. And we really look forward to working with some of your businesses to help you apply these principles as we go forward, which we're outlined today. And so a few of the key takeaways I noted just really quickly, because there were so many gems, were that attractive competence attracts capital. Tell a compelling story. Have a solid vision. Prove your concept, even if that means starting small. Build the right team. Solve the right problems. Bigger the problem, more scalable the business. There are avenues to grow your business through private investment, but it takes work. It takes the structures, having the right people in place, and knowing the processes to keep your investors confident and to keep your business in a position to be able to grow and scale well. You don't want to be in a position where you take on an investment and then you cannot meet 
the expectations of your investor, you can't meet your own goals and expectations because that will not bode well for your future. So be prepared. Preparation is the key. But formally now, we become Vestival team. We would really like to thank the following people who made this event possible and added such valuable insights and knowledge to today's discussion. So first of all, we would, of course, like to thank the American Chamber of Commerce of Trinidad and Tobago, AMCHAM. Special thanks to the CEO, Nirad Tawari, for supporting this initiative, and also to Melissa Pear and Michelle Lagan for really making this event possible. Without you all, this would never have happened. Thank you so, so much. And of course, we would like to thank today's event sponsor, Unitrust Corporation, with special thanks to Candice Hazel and Natasha Davis. For our esteemed panel, thank you so much to all of you. We know you all have very, very busy schedules. Thank you for taking the time out to share your knowledge with our audience. So we'd like to start with Ms. Karyan Hepburn, Malcolm of UTC. Thank you very much. Ms. Bashi Dukising of the Inter-American Development Bank. Mr. Beresford Gray of Cygnus Group. Mr. Chris Marcus of Aspire Fund Management. And Mr. Chris Williams of Proven Investments Limited. That you have created an event which is very memorable and which I know has been very valuable for the audience. And of course, we would like to thank all of you for joining, for sticking with us. We hope it was useful um, and we hope to hear from as many of you as are interested about how we can support you in helping to build a more investable business. So we also want to tell you to be on the lookout for an upcoming event in a few weeks, partnering Become Investable and the Unitrust Corporation focused on building wealth. So thank you all so much. We hope you have a great afternoon. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you, Zara. Thank you, everybody. Ferris, Chris, Chris, Karian. Please email info at becominvestable.com. We'll, we'll do our best to address your concerns. Well, we wish everybody an enjoyable Friday evening and even a more enjoyable weekend. And um, we look forward to hearing from many of you.